0: I, I once knew of a church that uh, it was going through explosive growth. I mean, it was, it was in the thousands. And it just seemed like everything they did, they did well. They had a huge pastoral staff and, and every pastor. They were all heavy hitters, all godly men who could preach the word and the power of the spirit. Uh, their congregation was amazing as well. They're, they crossed demographic lines that you don't often see, rich and poor, educated and blue collar, uh, different races all worshiped together as equals. And even though they were set amid a hostile culture, they did such a good job caring for one another that, as a church that it made the message of the gospel compelling to those people around them, and people couldn't help but want to join the church. But like any church that you've been to, including this one, it was far from a perfect church. Uh, actually, one of their lead pastors was actually infamous for denying the faith three times when he was under pressure. Uh, The pastors didn't realize it when they planted the church, but as the church grew, they found themselves little by little doing a lot more than they expected to be doing as pastors, a lot more than just preaching and praying, because there were bills that needed to be paid. And you can imagine in a church of thousands that there's all kinds of administration that was needed. They had an elderly population of of widows, and they believed strongly in the social mission of the church to care for one another, especially those who can't care for themselves. And so that took up a huge portion of their time, and little by little, the pastors found themselves doing so many tasks outside of their gifting that they had little time or energy to devote to preaching and to praying, to shepherding and discipling, to helping the saints follow Jesus Christ which, of course, was their job. Uh, Unsurprisingly, this turned out to be an unsustainable situation. In fact, the pastors were so swamped with all these myriad tasks that they didn't do any of them well. And it wasn't their intention, but it began to look like these pastors were playing favorites. And so this wonderful church started to divide into two camps one which felt loyal to the pastors and another which felt neglected. And the church was on the verge of splitting. But the pastoral staff at this very first Baptist church in Jerusalem, which you can read about in Acts 6, okay, they didn't call themselves First Baptist, but I like to think that they did. Uh, the, The pastors wisely decided to make a change Uh, They established what most scholars understand to be what becomes the office of deacon. Along with the congregation, they selected seven godly men who could meet the tangible needs of the church so that the pastors could then focus on the spiritual needs. And it is the office of deacon this morning, because it's our passage, which will occupy most of our time. So why don't we read our text and we'll pray and we'll dive in. Uh, First Timothy chapter three, verse eight. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gift of your word. We thank you that it nourishes us, that it uh, helps conform us to the image of your Son. Lord, we We thank you that we can't live on bread alone, but that every word which you speak to us is life-giving. Lord, we praise you for this. I ask this morning that as we look through your word together, you would bless the preaching of your word to your own glory, to the edification of your saints, and to the conviction of all uh, who have not yet turned to you. Lord, we thank you for this time together, and we just pray that you'd be glorified among us. Encourage our hearts. Help us to love you so that we can love those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, as we begin discussing these qualifications, we should probably keep in mind that this is not uh, simply a list that popped out of nowhere. Uh, this, rather, is part of a larger argument which the Apostle Paul is making to Timothy. And I don't know if it's still up here. If you like such things, uh, I've provided in, on the back table an outline of Paul's argument in 1 Timothy, and it helps you get... Uh, A better overall view of what he's doing here. If you recall, false teachers have started wreaking havoc in the church at Ephesus where Timothy is ministering, and this has led to all kinds of problems. And so Timothy has been tasked by Paul with riding the ship, so to speak. Uh, Paul is encouraging Timothy to fix things by preaching true doctrine that's preaching the true gospel of jesus christ and also living in an exemplary moral manner before the church last week or two weeks ago we saw paul is is insisting that timothy find like-minded men who love the gospel of jesus christ and who are able to teach it to help him shepherd the church of jesus christ and those men were called elders our text this morning is similar Timothy is to look for godly deacons who can then minister, as they did in Acts 6, to the tangible needs of the church. And as he seeks to install godly people into these positions, he does so recognizing that they will serve as examples to others within the church. So let's consider these qualifications together. We'll begin our second point, which is the qualifications of deacons. The first thing you may notice when you look at verses 8 to 13 this morning is that there is enormous overlap with the qualifications for elders, which were in verses 1 to 7. In fact, six of the qualifications listed here are actually identical to the qualifications for elders. The second thing you might notice is that these qualifications are without uh, exception character qualifications. We saw that the elder had mostly character qualifications with the additional qualification that he is able to teach. Here we find that a deacon, more than anything else, should be Christ-like, godly, holy, upright. Now, we all have ideas of what kind of skills a deacon should possess, but our text this morning would seem to suggest that God God values character far more than he values skills. Deacons are called on to do all kinds of things, and skills are certainly helpful, but we would be wise to prioritize what God does because skills can be learned, but godly character has to be formed in us by the Holy Spirit over time. You see, if we focus on godly character, then when people serve the church, it glorifies God. If we focus on skills we tend to glorify ourselves. Now, probably none of you are aware of this, but a few years ago, we had a big storm blow through and it blew off some shingles on the roof. Well, when somebody is focusing on God's glory, uh, that person, Ben Bugwa, decided that he was going to send one of his guys who works for him to go up on our roof and fix the roof for free. And so our roof works, and there's no missing shingles or anything. And, and that's what it looks like when we focus on character. But, but if we focus on, on skills when we think about deacons, then we tend to glorify ourselves. Think about the guy on the football team who, after scoring a touchdown, is you know, jumping up and down and drawing all attention to himself. I'm, I'm the best, I'm the best. And certainly we can see that manifest itself in the church as well. Somebody uses their skills, which are admirable, uh, but then they quickly draw attention to the fact that we're using our skills for the building up of the church. So, uh, overarching principles, we're focusing on character this morning. So, I want to break down the structure of our passage. So, look, look at your text with me, and I want you to see how he's, how he's listing these qualifications. Uh, verses 8 to 10 are general qualifications for deacons. Verse 11 gives qualifications, I will argue, for female deacons. And verse 12 gives male-specific qualifications. And then finally, verse 13 shows us what deacons stand to gain for their service. Now, I recognize I just revealed an exegetical decision when I gave you verse 11. I promise we'll get to why I think that in a moment but first let's focus on this first part which are the general qualifications so what does he say first off he says deacons must be dignified deacons should be respectable people they're not perfect people they're not sinless but they stand out as particularly respectable or dignified people because when someone holds office in the church, they are representing Christ in a more public way. You want them representing him well. So you don't want the person who's always stirring controversy or uh, creating conflict on social media in that particular position. Uh, not double-tongued. This is pretty obvious, right? Double-tongued It's when you say one thing to one group of people and you come to this other group of people and you say the exact opposite. Absalom was a great example of this, if you recall the story of Absalom. His father graciously brings him back to Jerusalem. He's humble and subservient to his father, to his face. But then he also hangs out at the city gates. And whenever somebody comes and has a complaint for King David, Absalom looks at him and he says, Well, you know, your complaint is valid and my my heart just goes out to you. Unfortunately, my father, the king, he just... He just doesn't have time to hear your requests, and he hasn't appointed any representatives to deal with it. But he says, you know what, though? If I were appointed a judge in the land, then I would see that you get justice. And in doing so, Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel and led a civil war against his father, stealing his throne in the process. Well, the same thing can happen in the church. Uh, A deacon can simultaneously present one face to the elders of the church of support, and then when they go around attending to their duties, they hear complaints, and instead of working as peacekeepers, they can join in on the gossip as a means of increasing their own standing in the church. Rather, the deacon who is not double-tongued, when encountering a real or perceived complaint, can then go and encourage that person to speak directly with the elders and allow the elders to know that there's a problem so that the problem can be resolved and so the church can be strengthened and the unity can be preserved. Lying and double-tongued speak will absolutely destroy a church. The next one is not devoted to much wine. Again, we dealt with this last week. It's hard to help others from a position of weakness, particularly as an addict to anything. A deacon should be someone who is, by God's grace, killing their sin. Uh, Not greedy for dishonest gain. There are, as with the office of elder, there are good reasons and there are bad reasons for pursuing the office of deacon. Uh, Pursuing this office selfishly for the prestige and honor it brings is obviously a bad reason. And that will manifest itself in how someone carries out the job. Uh, Deacons are often tasked with mercy ministry, that's uh, distributing benevolence to people in the church who need it. They're often tasked with administrating finances, And so what we find is that both the opportunity and the means to commit fraud and then cover it up are often present for deacons of the church. And so you want someone who is not motivated by money to be the one who is working with money. Just remember that uh, Judas was in charge of the money bag and used to help himself to it. All right, we're making good progress. Holding to the mystery of the faith with a good conscience, or a clear conscience. Uh, When we're reading Paul, you might remember that when he uses the word mystery, he's not talking about a Scooby-Doo kind of mystery. Uh, He's talking about something that is really difficult, uh, not just really difficult, but impossible to find out, unless God reveals it to us. And so it is when we come to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have come to the mystery of the faith revealed to us in Christ himself. And so to put this in words, uh, other words rather, a deacon must be a good theologian. They must know the gospel and understand the implications of the gospel. They may not be able to teach it well, but they should have a firm grasp of the faith and that, that faith should have gripped their hearts. And when you think about it, That's the only way someone could ever be a good deacon. Deacons are tasked with meeting the needs of the church. They're tasked with giving of themselves sacrificially, giving their time and talents and resources to go and serve others. And of course that appeals to many people in this world to go and serve others, so long as there are eyes watching them do it. But you see, the deacon of the church is regularly serving others in the church, ...and not seeking the applause of men. Because most of a deacon's work is felt. It isn't seen. They work behind the scenes. They serve out of the spotlight. And their work is felt... ...but it isn't seen. They're okay with not receiving the glory... ...because they know that their Heavenly Father... ...smiles on their service... ...and He will reward them greatly. Deacons work hard at serving others... ...at cost to themselves... ...and doing it without any commendation. Now, I don't know about you... ...but that sounds like a job to me that no one wants. Unless... ...unless that person... ...brothers and sisters, has been touched... ...by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unless that person has felt the weight of his sin. Unless she knows her guilt before God... ...and the judgment she deserves... ...for rejecting his good design and engaging in sin... He knows that there's no amount of service he could ever do to atone for his rebellion against a holy God and that if left to our own devices, we would all be objects of God's wrath for eternity in hell. And yet, a deacon also knows the good news of the gospel, that he or she is not under the wrath of God because Jesus Christ, the infinite God, humbled himself taking on the form of a servant He came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A payment to free us from the guilt and the power of sin. A deacon knows the freedom that is in Jesus Christ. That through his blood on the cross, he has bought us and he has reconciled us to God the Father Almighty. Giving us an inheritance with him forever and ever. And a deacon knows that this is all done on the basis of God's loving and gracious initiative. For God so loved us that he gave his son. Not that he gave his son so he could love us. And so the kind of person you want as a deacon is the person who knows this to be true at their core. And the idea of giving their time to help others in the church isn't a chore, but it's a blessed opportunity for joy. Because they see in the blood of Christ something infinitely more valuable than their own service. And it is their joy to respond to God's grace by seeking to love others as Jesus loved them. You see, then and only then does the thankless, behind-the-scenes work of a deacon make any sense. Someone has to be motivated by the grace of God in their lives or it will never work. Now the part about a clear conscience. He's setting that in opposition to the false teachers who he says in chapter 4 have seared consciences. That's their hearts have been hardened by sin and the deceitfulness. This is a person who's still tender to the gospel, who is repentant over their sins, and who is trusting in Christ. All right, verse 10. He provides for us a helpful principle. He says this this is just practical. Before making someone a deacon, he says, "...let them first be tested. See that they are truly above reproach." Now, some have argued that this requires a probationary period or perhaps a formal examination of deacons. I think however you get at this idea, the point is that a deacon is to prove their qualifications before taking office. They should have demonstrated their character and proven to be servants of the church Before they are granted a formal office and a title in the church. They should be deaconing without the title before they are granted the title. Does that make sense? Are you still with me? Okay. Let's get to verse 11. I stated above that I believe this gives us qualifications for female deacons or deaconesses... Uh, perhaps that I would take this particular interpretation is surprising because of how I unapologetically preached chapter 2, which places a prohibition on women serving as elders. Uh, my hope is that here in year 4, as pastor of FBC Medfield, I have established to you that I preach not to make the Bible say what I think it says, but to preach to you what I think. The Bible says. Did I say that right? Okay. (laughs) This is harder than it looks. (laughs) And I try to teach what the Bible teaches, even when those truths are culturally unpopular. And that was the case for chapters 1 and 2. You say to me, Pastor, how could this refer to deaconesses, or women in general, when the ESV which you said is your favorite translation, has written it there, their wives likewise, in verse 11. Well, I'll simply ask you to look at your Bible, and you'll see that there's a footnote present. And if you follow that footnote, you'll see that it says, or women likewise. And the reason is that because these are translations of an original Greek text. And in the Greek, the word gunaikos can refer to women, or it can refer to wives. And you have to make a decision based on context, which one it means. Now, I'll also note that the possessive pronoun there, there, which the ESV provides, is not in the original Greek. All it has there is the word for women. And so I think that the plain reading of this text is women and not the wives of deacons. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I'll give you the reasons why. And I'll admit that many good pastors and scholars who I admire sit on both sides of this debate. And I'll note that there are good arguments for either translation here, but I think the argument for translating this as women and not wives is more compelling. Uh, So again, I'm going to condense the argument, but if you have any questions, I'm obviously happy to talk about this. Uh, First... We saw that the prohibition in chapter 2 referred to a prohibition on the office of elder. Uh, That is, a woman is never to teach or exercise authority over a man. That's an elder role. The role of deacon is as a servant or assistant to the elders. A deacon does not teach or exercise authority. Uh, The scripture many times tells us as the church to submit to elders. It never tells us to submit to deacons. Secondly, it would seem strange that uh, the elders who exercise oversight over the church, when you look at their qualifications, uh, you're not to look at their wives. But the deacons who serve under the elders would have an additional qualification that the elders don't have, which is the case if you translate this as their wives. Now, if you consider church history... Uh, you don't find female elders in any meaningful way until the 20th century under the influence of feminism. The scriptures are just too clear on that point. Uh, Female deacons, however, or deaconesses, show up in the very first centuries of the church, and I would argue at the very beginning of the church, and even in the Bible. If you turn to Romans chapter 16, verse 1, you'll read that Phoebe there is referred to as a deacon of the church in century. Now, if you look at your ESV, it will say a servant of the church with a footnote that says, or deaconess of the church. And uh, that's because the word for uh, deacon can mean either servant or the official office of deacon in the church. And uh, again, I have reasons that I think... uh, I think it should be translated deaconess there. So as I mentioned, deaconess show up at, deaconesses show up in the very first centuries of the church, and they were tasked as servants of the church to minister to the needs of women in a way that might have been inappropriate for men to do. Uh, they have historically provided incredible value and service to the church. Now, if you disagree with me on this point, that's fine. You're free to do that. Uh, This is not a hill I'm going to die on. This is a secondary issue. But I do think this is what the text is teaching. And if you go and read another translation, the New American Standard, which is another great one, that's actually the translation they take. I'm not alone in this. And so this is the position that I will advocate for at the church. So what does he say of deaconesses here? Well, he says that they must be dignified and respectable. They must not be slanderous, so they're not supposed to be gossips. That also rips the church apart. Uh, They are to be sober-minded, as are the elders. They see things as they are. And they should be faithful in all things, both in the church and outside of the church. They should be trustworthy women, already proving their worth to the church and their faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Christ has gifted men and women with unique and valuable contributions to serve the church, and I think the office of deacon is one of the ways that women can do that. And so we continue, and verse 12 switches to male-specific qualifications. Like elders, male deacons are called to lead their homes. They must be one-women men, which means they're faithful to a single wife. And they should be managing their own household and children well as examples to the flock. Remember last week we talked about uh, how the home is a microcosm of the church. And so someone who manages his household well can then be trusted to take on greater responsibilities at the church. Finally we turn to verse 13. And Paul here is going to explain to us the uh, two of what are probably many benefits for serving as a deacon. First, he says, they win for themselves a good standing. Their service to the church grants for them a good standing, uh, a dignified and reverent standing before the church who appreciates their service, but also recognition from Jesus Christ. You see, if one cannot even give a glass of water in Christ's name without receiving their Reward from their father? Uh, How can someone deacon and continuously serve the church without also being rewarded? Now, of course, a deacon does not seek out the position for these good standings and rewards, but it naturally comes with their selfless service. Uh, The second thing he says they receive is much confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. What does he mean by that? Well, I think the general idea is that the deacon is strengthened in their faith. Uh, Jesus, of course, says that the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. Well, deacons are the hands and the feet of the church. They are the gospel personified. They are on the cutting edge of showing Christ's sacrificial love to others in tangible ways. And so this means that deacons, in a sense, have a front row seat to watch how Christianity works. Uh, They see how Jesus changes people, starting with themselves and then everyone they serve. And as they see the good news of Jesus actually change lives, they gain confidence that what they believe is true. Listen, we all go through doubts, but the deacon is privileged in a special way to see the love of Christ work itself through a church. And so those are the qualifications Paul lists for deacons. Uh, Before we close today, I want to briefly consider the roles and the benefits for the church of deacons. So let's first consider the roles. Um, I'd like to begin by telling you a story of someone I knew who I think was a model deacon. And the remarkable thing about this story is that he did not do anything out of the ordinary. It was just faithful, ordinary love. And anyway, his name was Jason. Uh, Jason was a deacon at a church I attended in college. He was a blue-collar guy. He ran a landscaping company. Uh, He had a wonderful wife and family. And I actually worked for him when I was going through college doing landscaping with him. Uh, Well, there was a widow in the church with a few small kids, and she had recently lost her husband. And every time that it rained hard, part of her house would flood. Now, she didn't have the financial means or the skills necessary to fix this herself, and so the elders went to Jason and they said, hey, can you figure this out for her? Now, I didn't know that part. I was just going to work one day. And we're out cutting grass at some condos and he he picks me up and he says, hey, we're going to go somewhere else. And so we show up to this house and we spend three hours and Jason, with his knowledge of irrigation and everything else, uh, he and I go and we fix downspouts and rearrange drainage systems and unclog pipes and all kinds of stuff. And he goes and he fixes the problem. And now when it rains, the house doesn't flood. But the amazing thing to me was that during business hours, this guy who owned this business, when he could be cutting yards and making money, he uses his expertise and resources to go and serve a young widow in the church. And he does this out of the spotlight with few people who would ever know that he did this. And why would he do that? And I think the reason, if you talk to him, is because he loves Jesus. And because he is is loved by Jesus. And I can assure you that that widow, even though she was going through a horrible time having lost her husband, at that moment she felt the love of Christ from the body of Christ. Now, while many churches have deacons, I would argue that many churches are using deacons in a way that is not biblical. Some, jer- some churches see deacons as a kind of bicameral legislature which keeps tabs on the elders and forces them to make compromises to get things done. Uh, other churches invest all power into a single senior pastor who then has an army of deacon minions who carry out his will. Uh, I, was, I grew up in one of those churches Uh, Still others, like the Anglicans, see deacon as a stepping stone ministry on the way to becoming a priest. And while I still think these are true churches, I think they are operating in an unbiblical manner. The biblical picture is to have a plurality of elders who lead and shepherd the church, and under the elders to have deacons who meet the tangible needs of the church. Uh, What distinguishes them? Well, teaching, as we saw in the qualifications, that falls under the authority of the elders. Deacons, of course, could teach with the blessings of the elders, but that's not in their job descriptions. Some deacons, like Stephen, are able to give an account for the mysteries of the faith. And he found himself in a teaching position in Acts 7. So deacons can teach, but that's not in their job description. And it doesn't, it's not unusual for male deacons who possess teaching gifts to go on and later become elders. Uh, Secondly, we see that exercising authority, spiritual oversight in the church, is also an elder role. Now, as Congregationalists, we recognize that there are some things that the congregation does as a whole, but generally speaking, oversight is an elder role. Deacons do not shepherd, lead, or exercise authority. Thus, no one is ever called in the Scriptures to submit to a deacon. Uh, The elders and deacons focus on different tasks, but the elders exercise oversight even into deacon matters. And so when when we come to the roles of deacons, you can think of them in this way. Uh, They are leading servants of the church who meet the tangible needs of the church. Uh, When you actually consider the the word deacon in a Greek lexicon, it, it talks about how a deacon is someone who serves at the behest of someone else under the direction of another. Now, of course, Service is often demeaned in our culture, and if that sounds demeaning to you, uh, I hope it doesn't. Because after all, the apostles in Acts 6, they said it's not right that we should serve tables. It sounds like it's a lesser task, but that's not the case. The apostles wanted to focus on the ministry of the word and of prayer. And by trying to do everything, they were causing division. And so what they did is they chose the best of the best to serve As deacons. And so there's this incredible dignity in the scriptures to being a deacon. And if you don't believe me, consider what Christ himself says to his disciples in Luke chapter 22. We have a slide for it. Luke 22, verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be considered the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you, disciples, are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who de- deacons. It's the verb form of deacon there, serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who deacons, serves. Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Brothers and sisters, being a deacon is not an easy or a glamorous job. I mean, consider the kind of service that Christ offered on our behalf. That was hard work. But let me insist to you that those whom God calls to serve as deacons are following the example of Jesus Christ himself, who came not to be deaconed, but to deacon and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, we, of course, cannot offer our lives as substitutionary sacrifices like Christ did, but we can offer our lives as living sacrifices, as Paul calls us to, pleasing and acceptable to God. And when deacons do this, they are reflecting Jesus and bringing him glory. Let's close by just considering the benefits that deacons bring to a church. I mentioned this earlier, but deacons preserve and promote the unity of a church. We saw that in Acts 6, the church was being ripped apart, and the deacons wisely fixed the conflict that was causing the division. Uh, Now, deacons, because they serve the church and because they work closely with the elders... They're able to work as informal mediators. And so if there is a problem in the church, they're able to work between congregation and elders to fix the problem in a way that the elders might not even be aware of. And that preserves unity. Uh, Secondly, of course, there is a social implication of the gospel in the church. The church is called to love one another in tangible ways. In Acts 6, we saw that the problem was these widows who could not take care of themselves were getting neglected in the distribution of food. And we see that in the church, there are all kinds of practical problems and needs which arise, and the deacons are the ones who go and meet those needs. Thirdly, when deacons serve well, it frees up the elders to do their jobs well. Uh, I know there's the old joke that a pastor works once a week, uh, but I can tell you that preaching and teaching and shepherding and leading and discipling and evangelizing and preparing all kinds of stuff for the church takes up quite a bit of time. And when elders are able to devote themselves to those things, everyone in the church benefits. If you know me, you know that you really don't want me setting up a sound system or managing general contractors, or dealing with church software, all of which I've done, but all of which I am woefully underqualified to do. And when I'm working on those things, it means I don't have the time to visit or pray with people or prepare or love the church as a shepherd. And so what we find is that deacons, as they did in Acts 6, free up the elders to do their job. We mentioned, fourthly, earlier that deacons demonstrate in a profound way the love of Christ as he came to serve others. Their self-sacrificial service builds up the church and is a witness to the love of Christ. Fifth, related to that benefit, it is through the efforts of deacons that God is glorified. Uh, You see, serving your brothers and sisters without expectation of anything in return is an act of holy faith. Do you see how that works? Serving others without expectation of return means that I really do believe that I've already received so much more from Jesus Christ. And I know that God is keeping count of my efforts. It means I'm trusting in God's appreciation more than the appreciation of those around me. Finally, Lastly, I'm actually almost done. Last one. You ready? All right. Finally, when deacons serve well, they help the church to thrive. Consider with me the consequences in Acts 6 when the elders establish deacons and the deacons begin to do their job well. Consider the last verse of that passage. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Look at what happens because of the deacons. The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And even a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Brothers and sisters, the church became even more effective because of the selfless service of deacons. And this should not surprise us because over and over the New Testament presents the church as a a body with many members. And so the deacons are there to help people serve the church with the gifts that God has given them. And they're there to help the elders serve the church with the gifts that God has given them. And we saw this, of course, in Ephesians 4, and we'll close with this. He says this, rather speaking the truth in love, we will grow... To become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So, when every part of the body is working properly, I'll use the ESV here, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself in love. Uh, The office of deacon is a wonderful gift of Jesus Christ to the church. Because there are many challenges which may come up in the life of the church. And God has provided these deacons to meet those needs and conquer those challenges. Deacons have a wonderful role to play in building up the church and glorifying God and pointing others to Jesus Christ. And I'm excited for the establishment of more deacons here at our church. Let's pray.